Since the beginning of time, people have always found creative ways of communicating. This is my way. I'm Kyle Leon Henderson, and we need to talk. Welcome back to another episode of Not For Nothing. I'm, of course, Kyle Leon Henderson, and we are in the middle of our series that I'm calling Life in the Bunker, in which I am stuck in my house because of COVID-19, and I'm enlisting the help of all other friends who can help me uh, pop into their bunker and see how life's going for them. And today we have a friend of the show, Mandy Shannara. Hey. Hi. Thanks how for having me. Thanks for being here. You're actually a fan favorite. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say, if you have not listened to episode five of Not For Nothing, that is Mandy's first episode here on the show. I would say it might be beneficial to go back and listen to that before you listen to this one. But if not, no worries. We're going to jump right in because I had had this whole plan today to talk about a little bit of what we talked about back in 2017 and then also a little bit about what we're going to do here in our bunkers while we're hunkering down to get through COVID-19. And then you sent me a Marco Polo video this morning that changed everything. I just want to, I'm just going <laughs> to give it to you. Tell, tell me what you have gotten yourself into in, in, in life in the bunker right now. <laughs> okay. So like a lot of people, uh, you know, being quarantined is stressful and depressing, and the internet is largely a cesspool, so I'm looking for all kinds of wholesome content on the internet, and today I found the most pure and wholesome of wholesome internet, and that is a Facebook group called, like the title is literally, A Group Where We All Pretend to Be Ants in a Colony, and how it works is you join the Facebook group, and by joining, you have to agree to stay in character as an ant, and you have to always capitalize queen, because, you know, of course, we <laughs> defer to our queen. And we all serve so, the pleasure. <laughs> we, we do. Uh, on bended knee. Six of them, actually. Uh, so <laughs> people will post pictures, like, shit that they found wait am i allowed to cuss on here yes and this oh. show has always has an explicit rating because i well, do not yeah. people <laughs> excellent so people will post pictures of ants doing things like lifting a leaf or climbing a rock or swarming a sidewalk crack and they'll say things like help me move this leaf and people will comment <laughs> lift and heave <laughs> and it is the so, funniest shit i've ever seen in my life it's like i don't know it's like a disney nature film if disney nature was civil war reenactment kind of thing <laughs> yeah it's like getting to like instead of just watching a nature nature documentary it's like getting to be in a nature documentary that's so fun well it 
in all full disclosure, you had sent it to Ethan and I was looking <laughs> over his shoulder and I said, Oh my God. I was like, I had a whole podcast developed and ready to go for today. And now I have so many questions. I cannot stand it. And I, you were saying that you were laughing for 30, 40 minutes at all these people. Oh yeah. Hysterically laughing. I was, I couldn't breathe. I was laughing so hard because you were like, look, there's a picture of an ant riding a snail. And the comment is, I've captured one. Show me how to steer it. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone like was commenting steer and left and yeehaw. <laughs> well, so that is now mine because I haven't, I have not accepted the invitation because you promptly invited Ethan and me to be a part of this group and I want y'all in Ethan, our colony. Well, and Ethan, I love him dearly. I love ants. him dearly. <laughs> well, I love him dearly. He's like, I'm just thinking I would be involved in this for a good 10 minutes. And then I would say, I have more important. I have, I'm too busy for this. And I was, and I told him, I said, you're not too busy. You're not going to work. You have nothing but time to be an ant. <laughs> so I'm going to be working on him. I haven't, I haven't, accepted the invitation yet because I do realize that I have a podcast to produce and once I get involved I'm probably gonna go down and never come back out into the anthill <laughs> Jesus Ethan I have shit to do too like I have to serve the queen ant of the colony and somebody a tree branch <laughs> fell on the anthill and made some structural damage to the tunnels and I, we have to dig and repair I mean this is a group effort okay <laughs> I've been very busy today. I'm dead because you did. You were like, well, this bitch left the colony for another colony. She abandoned us. <laughs> so I may have to check back in with you on your Ant Hill okay. shenanigans at some point. But other than being part of a virtual ant colony, what else has been going on while you've been in your bunker with your husband? Oh, uh, well, the cats are about to evict us, uh, <laughs> not realizing that, you know, we pay to live here and that mm -hmm. we own this place and they, they serve at our pleasure, but that, oh no, <laughs> uh, their department was not consulted when, uh, the work from home orders were sent out and they mm -hmm. are ready to oust us. Uh, so yeah, putting up with grumpy cats, uh gardening starting that victory gardens so we don't have to go to the grocery store as often hopefully i love that you're calling it a victory garden <laughs> because it really uh, is it does feel like the country it, it's a very world war ii moment when it just feels like the whole country because you know we went to war in 2001 and we're still at war and it just it wasn't the same as wars of yesteryear when the whole country stopped women went out and worked in the factories and the factory stopped working on cars and working on products and started working on war supplies. And it does feel like that, that you're really, the whole country is oriented towards beating this enemy, COVID-19. Yeah. And I mean, we, we have a barter economy. There's rationing. People aren't <laughs> driving as much, so they're saving on gas. Right. I mean. We're, yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of, if you, I mean, if you, I guess in the same way that, World War II was kind of beautiful that the whole country came together for a common cause. It's kind of beautiful now that we're all just kind of here doing the same thing. And it got really trippy for me for a little while because I have a friend who is a really close friend of mine, uh, Jake Myers, who lives in Nottingham, England. And 
he's been at home and I've been at home and we've been really in constant contact and his life looks much like our lives. And I'm just like, huh, that's, it's really weird and kind of trippy to think that the entire world is doing the same thing at the same time, thinking the same feelings, feeling the same emotions, having the same anxieties about the claustrophobia and the getting on each other's nerves. It's just, I, I mean, I feel like it's kind of a moment that this world has never seen before. Yeah, I, I mean, that's how it feels. And then again, I wasn't around during the Spanish flu, so it's hard that's to true. say. I haven't uh, hit the star crazy part yet, though. Uh, I think it's because <laughs> I've been doing a lot of Zoom parties and uh, mm-hmm. Marco Poloing, video texting people, and um, I've been coming up with excuses to go to like Petco, which is safe because I like place the order online park they put it in the trunk like there's no actual interaction Mm -hmm. but at least i like have an excuse to drive down the road to get cat food you know i'm getting out of the house even if it's only for 15 minutes well and i know that you and ethan both were having consternations about the pet stores and y'all were sharing that did you hear how that turned out oh his confirmation email went to his spam folder and so yep. his order was ready and he didn't know yeah <laughs> he, was, he was livid telling everybody that this pet store i don't remember which one it was and i won't put it on blast or whatever but this one pet store he's like they have had my order for four days and yada yada and he's like i got the confirmation email three days ago it was in the spam folder and i'm like <laughs> man the dramas that play out in this world now that we're in the bunker <laughs> right which that reminds me, um, you and I had the other day and during our pre-production meeting for this episode, I was, I, I, I just marvel. I have the time to marvel at anything right now. I just, you know, <laughs> focus on it for hours on end. And I was focused the other day on the conversation that you had with me for about 15 minutes over the merits of one ink pen versus another because I'm left-handed and <laughs> we settled on Le Pen. Uh, yeah. the most beautiful pins in all the world. Uh, give me a sponsorship, huh? Um, but yeah, I was just like, wow. I met Mandy when she was a freshman in college and I was a senior. And we used to go and have the most fun adventures around Birmingham. And now we're doing Zoom phone, Zoom meetings about the merits of an ink pen. Yeah, wow. I like uh, adulting, <laughs> though. It's fun. <laughs> hashtag adulting. Uh, that's what a decade of friendship will do for you. <laughs> Um, so in our last episode back in 2017, you, I remember it was mid 20, mid 2017. So it was the first year of Trump's presidency and I don't want to make it too political, but I do want to check back in on some of the issues that were arisen from you, um, or that were brought up from you back then. You had told me that you were rage crying because of the election and eating your feelings. How's that going three years later? So my level of anger has certainly not lessened. It's only grown, but so has my capacity to manage it. So (laughs) I'm rage crying less. And I mean, I just like food. So I mean, I've been eating my feelings my whole life. (laughs) We got uh, some almond butter that has hazelnut mixed in. So it's like Nutella, but slightly less sweet. And honey, I have been eating that shit out of the jar with a spoon and double dipping. Look, we're on quarantine rules. I don't (laughs) give a fuck. That's what I said. It's Corona time. We don't, there are no rules. There are no, (laughs) 
It's like airport rules, you know? Beer at 10 a.m.? Sure, why not? Mm -hmm. Who cares? Sleeping on the floor in the middle of the day? Why not? (laughs) Well, I'm going to circle back to this because, um, uh, but your husband, John, and I were talking the other day, and he was like, I'm eating, I don't remember what it was, biscuits with sardines on it. Yeah, he made like (laughs) sardine toast and he tried to give me some and I was like, I'm not, I'm I'm not like eating canned fish quarantine level (laughs) yet. Like that's, (laughs) and I told him, I said, I can, I can one up you. I had a honey bun for lunch today. (laughs) So (laughs) Corona rules. Um, But that's what I want to circle back to because um, since our last episode you've gotten married mm-hmm. how's married life it is wonderful actually i mean we were we've been living together for a while so not a lot has like changed in the day-to-day but honey that tax break is real <laughs> like... uh, well, we just just two minutes ago i was filling out our census form finally and there you know i said on the podcast before that ethan and i had filed for domestic partnership for xyz reasons romantic reasons being one of them but not the not not even the most important one but i was like there's not an a there's not a category for us so i so it was a whole again adult drama of do i put married do i put single non-married partner type thing i I don't know so what'd y'all land on I decided married because I was like, we're closer than not. And if you want me to be really specific, then you have to, um, you have to uh, give me the category. <laughs> so yep. that's what I've landed on. Um, but yeah. So are you and John getting on each other's nerves or are y'all just, did you fall, fall into a pattern that just works and we're done? <laughs> Honest to God. And I'm not just saying this because it sounds all sweet and whatnot. Like, we're really not getting on each other's nerves. Mm-hmm. Uh, namely because I don't understand people who want to live with or marry folks that do get on their nerves. Like I keep mm-hmm. seeing people on the internet, like I'm about to, you know, like rip my husband's throat out. I hate him. And like, <laughs> she's getting on my nerves and all this shit. And I'm just like, well, why are you together? If you don't like this person, like it's not, a, it shouldn't be a novel idea to long-term partnered with someone whose company you enjoy you know well and you know i i know that my parents have they i mean they've been together 76 so 44 years now they've been married and my dad he's had a lot of health problems over the last few years and my mom actually i called her today and she was like well are you and ethan getting on each other's nerves yet and i was like not really i mean we're very um goals driven people and so we are really having a great time knocking off all of our our watch lists from all of our different streaming ser- services and like well, we watch that we're done with Shit's creek we're done with the morning show okay what can we move on to and i was like let's watch the good wife and so now you know so we're we have goals and we're knocking them off checking them off and my mom she's like i'm gonna wring your dad's neck he's getting on my nerves it's <laughs> <laughs> like well I, I know that they have a healthy marriage, but maybe at 44 years, I will want to wring Ethan's neck or he'll more likely he'll want to wring my neck. I'm the, <laughs> I'm the one who's going to get on his nerves because it's, yeah, that's just how life is. But um, I did hear from, there's a older fellow who follows me on Twitter and reads my blog and he did say, you know, 
if you can't handle quarantining when you're young, you're really going to hate retiring when you're old. Because when you're retired, like, you're basically, like, quarantined with this other person all the time, (laughs) you you know? Mm -hmm. Another interesting development that I found out today, which I didn't think anything of it, but my mother, she was like, she called me the other day and she was like, hey, did you have a car crash? And I was like, no, I don't know, no, nothing. And she's like, well, I got this letter from uh, an insurance company that's like saying that you owe them money or something. I was like, whatever. And they sent it to her house in Alabama. And I I haven't lived in Alabama for eight years, nine years now. Well, then I get an text message from my insurance company today and I'm like okay so why are you texting me so I was like real salty with this lady and I was like no she's like will you give me a call I'm like absolutely not I have made the preference to have email communication and my email would be in my file so if if this is legit you can email me there and she's like back in June of last year there was a car crash and there's a claim against your account and I was like I didn't even have my car registered in this state last year in June. I did not have this insurance in June. I don't know what you're talking about. So come to find out, it's looking like I'm trying to, somebody's trying to scam me out of insurance yeah. money against my car. And I was like, I feel so violated. I was like, and then my uh-huh. sister was like, honey, it's tough times. People looking for money wherever they can get it. And I was like, I guess I just have way too much faith in humans. Because I'm like, who would do this? We got money coming out of our ears, coming out, coming down the pike. $1,200 for this. If you're on unemployment, $600 extra for that. Why are you trying to get me in trouble with my insurance? Still not enough, but... Well, true. Yeah, don't be like scamming people. That shit. Right. Like, I did not solicit this. Please stop. <laughs> but... They were it's like, like, I checked my karma. It's looking good. Leave it alone. Listen, it's true. And the lady was like, well, we're, and I was like, that's not a thing. I don't know what this is going on. And she's like, well, we're waiting on that. And the other person's insurance to send us the pictures of your license plate on the, on site. And I was like, well, it wasn't there. So I'm real interested to see what those pictures bring up. Because if they did like sneak around and take a picture of my license plate, I'd be like, that was in June, and I can give you the receipts of when I got my car registered in this state the week of Thanksgiving. Thank you so much. So, show me the receipts. Um, also, I want to ask you, uh, because I have been very interested in your hobbies and interests in your life, because you are probably the one person who dives in like Mary Poppins into a chalk <laughs> sidewalk chalk painting when you decide to pick up a new hobby, circle back to Ant Hill Nation on Facebook. <laughs> um, so you had started skating uh, a did. while back. How's that going? Are you still skating or is your skating life put on hold for a moment? Yeah, so, well, it's kind of weird right now because I like park skating and Um, I'd been going to this indoor skate park uh, you know because until well it's still kind of cold in Ohio right now Mm. Uh, but until recently it was really cold and slightly snowy so I was going to this indoor park and then of course when the stay-at-home order was issued and you know businesses non-essential businesses were closed well goodbye skate park and there are some outdoor skate parks around here but uh like it is today it has been rainy and (laughs) when it's not rainy they are overcrowded with um 
I don't want to disparage BMXers and skateboarders, but they're, it's like a sausage fest, and they like to yell things like, hey, skater girl, do a backflip. And I'm like, oh, motherfuckers, just let me live. You know, so like, right. I don't want to like deal with them necessarily. And also, if it gets too crowded, then the city will pour sand in the bowls. Like you're actually, we're actually seeing that in a lot of different cities to prevent skaters. They're putting sand in stuff, which if you were on any kind of wheels, except perhaps a bike and you hit sand, you're going down. You are (laughs) dead. Uh, So I've been skating in my living room. I pushed the coffee table out of the way and it's not like a huge space, obviously, but it's like, my own personal little roller rink on my hardwood floors uh terrifies my cats (laughs) absolutely terrifies them um i have been skating a little bit around my neighborhood um which is it's kind of like an obstacle course skating outside because the smallest little stick or the tiniest little rock you hit it and you're on the ground because you're you're not doing rollerblading you're doing like quads, old school. Quad, yeah, quad, like two on the, the front, two on the back. Yeah, like the ones you used to rent at the skating rink when we were in school and stuff, yeah. and at birthday parties. You're doing exactly. that, but you probably got you. You got your own pair, so. Oh yeah, I have two. Well, I thought about you the other day because my friend Billy, friend of the show, Billy from uh, UAB graduate, he lives down in Redondo Beach, and no, no, he lives in Hermosa Beach. And we were walking from his house to the beach and I passed this skate store and I was like, I've got to bring Mandy here when she comes. What was the name <laughs> so, of it? I cannot remember. I think I sent you a picture. It was, it was a few months ago. So I'll have okay. to, uh, I'll have to go visit Billy again at some point before you get here so that I'll know exactly where to go because it was a whole store for skates. And I was like, and it was like, it was sort of the type of skater that you are. It's like, a just recreational skater, not a BMXer, not a like, you know, skateboarder. It was just quad skates and all the accessories. But also I have a friend at church um, who it happens to be a transgendered man who is a therapist for um, in the uh, prison population. And he was telling me, well, I guess more so they were telling me about on Wednesday nights, there's an LGBTQ skate party and it's just where you bring your own skates and you just you can bring like the little glow sticks and just you know come and hang out and have a good time request some songs and hang out with other lgbtq skaters and he's been asking me to um come and i haven't had the opportunity to and plus i don't have skates but i'm like i kind of want to like i want to jump in but of course of course i'm gonna i'm gonna find out the information so when you and john come for a visit uh, we can make it happen because I like, there's so much that I just started in 2020. I was like, I'm going to make this year, the year that I get involved. We've been here for two years and then a world pandemic, like we've never seen before hit. And so now we're doing nothing. You're skating around your living room. <laughs> yeah. Also quick caveat. If anybody's listening and think, uh, straight people don't crash the, you know, the queer skate night, I'm by. Right. Just exactly. I don't feel like I should have to do that, but I know how people get, you know. Well, and you know, I I really do I I think there's a lot of space in that in that queue, in the queer, that a lot of people really fit the bill that that we don't really think about for all the time. 
And plus, you are bisexual, as you said, but you happen to marry a man and you have a wonderful life. But you, even if you weren't bisexual, you would be one of the world's best allies as well because you've been Ethan's best friend since, what, kindergarten? Is that right? Yeah, K-5. K-5 at that private school y'all like went to. 24 years. Oh, my gosh. That's making and me sad a little. We're only 29, really. so. Yeah. Um, which I, I'm on the back end or on the other side of 30. I don't mind the aging process. I really enjoy, I enjoy looking back and I enjoy staying in the moment, but there are times when I'm like, eh, this sucks. But once you think this sucks, you need to go out and do a project or do something fun because life's still fun if you make it fun. But yeah, we'll have to deal with, we'll, we'll have to go skating when we, we do that. I'll have to ask him. Um, sometime whenever whenever I see him again, unfortunately. Well, I think that is a wonderful pl- space to stop, take a break, get a little fill up on our water tanks. And then when we come back, I'm going to talk about your career. So... Something that I want everybody to know about you is that you're probably my biggest inspiration when it comes to how to be an artist and do it successfully. And what I mean by successfully is just not getting distracted and deterred by the things that are happening around you in life, the the, the disappointments or the critics or your own things that bubble up in your personal life. It never did, from my perspective, knock you off your tracks of just staying focused, staying on your your goals and schedule for what you do. So, Oh my gosh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I would be lying if I said that was totally true, but I, I'm glad to hear that's how it's perceived. <laughs> well, and you do. You kind of come in like a tornado. And I think this is the exact same analogy I used on your episode, episode five, you come to see Ethan once a year and and you and I have become very close friends by proxy. You're Ethan's best friend. And should Ethan and I ever divorce, he would get you in the divorce settlement and that would just be it, but that's not going to happen. So I get to be your friend and you do, you come into town almost like a tornado for me because I'm like, she's a tornado of inspiration. Every time you come in, (laughs) I'm just like, I've got, I'm, bubbling with ideas on what I should do for my own goals, for my own art. And I just love it. I love that. So I want to talk about, um, about the stuff that you do. So you are a professional writer and you, a lot, a lot of your work has been in essays because that you're an essayist. Is that, would that be the correct way to say it? Yes. Uh, truthfully though, I do a little bit of everything. It's mostly essays, but uh... So I'll write a short story or two and some poems and just whatever the mood, mm-hmm. whatever strikes me. And um, it's interesting because when I was reflecting on it, you, you and I have sort of, I think, similar ways of how we tackle our art because my art became, I'm an improv actor, but also this podcast is something that was a, a passion project for me because I just loved having conversations and I loved sharing my life with people. And so it was this medium that I share my life with. And you sort of think about it in the same way that you want to share your life and your experiences and the way that you see the world, but you do it through essays that you write. 
Yeah, that's a, in really a lot good, of ways. Good way of summing it up. Yeah. And I'm actually, uh, I'm pleased to say that I got to see your writing process firsthand once. Um, at the time of our recording for this la- for the last episode, episode five, you were in New York visiting us because we were still living in New York at the time. And it was a weird week. Like, you know how you have those weird weeks and you're just, and you look around and you're like, I'm so glad there was somebody here to see that week. That yeah. was the week that you were there because I had screwed up our this is a story that I do want to tell at a different time. Please. And I may like circle back for oh, Ethan. Oh, please I... tell it. <laughs> well, okay. So we had had this entire plan that around April, we decided after our lease was up in September, we were going to move to Los Angeles. And I had made all the plans of moving out and everything and moving to LA. And I had had it in my head that our lease was up at the end of September. So October 1st was when we were needing to be out of our apartment. Well, a a realtor lady came in one day showing the apartment because we were like, yeah, sure, you can come show our apartment. And she's like, and you guys will be out by September 1st. And I'm like, no, we will be out by October 1st because we have a trip to Los Angeles to get to on um, September 1st. So we're we're not going to be moving then. And then she was like, no, I was told that you'd be out this time. And I was like, well, lady, I will check the, the, I'll check the lease. I know what I'm talking about. We are here through September. I pulled the lease out of the drawer and she was right. We were supposed to be out by September 1st. I had booked them. I booked a trip. I booked everything. And it just kind of sent me and Ethan into a tailspin to where I called the priest and I was like, look, some stuff just hit the fan and I just need somebody who can moderate this conversation. Cause it might get ugly cause I screwed it up. Um, but long story short, we wound up just like dealing with it. We packed up all of our stuff into a pod and put it in storage until we could ship it to Los Angeles. And the week that it all kind of came down, you had booked a trip to come visit us and you were like, do I need to not come? And we were just like, no, please come. <laughs> we need, <laughs> we need, we need that tornado of creativity in our lives right now. So well, I think Ethan um, was worried, like, oh, this is supposed to be a vacation for you, and now you have been like roped into helping us pack boxes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, nah, it's cool. Like, I'm yeah, down. This you, is what best friends are for. And you got to see Ethan and me at our finest because people are like, I cannot imagine moving in New York City, and I'm like, it is a big old freaking nightmare. It is a crazy nightmare to move in New York and you got to witness it firsthand trying to get a, a moving truck on a street in Manhattan on the curb. So that we, it was just, it was nuts and you were there for it. But at that same time, it was just like a weird moment for everybody involved because our friend Kristen, who we had to cancel another trip to New York because of COVID-19 because she's getting married again. But at that time she was going through a divorce and you were going through, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, you were going through a time when your sort of inspirations for writing were changing a little bit. And yeah, sort of, it was more like I, you know, a couple of, like a year before had moved from Birmingham, Alabama to Columbus, Ohio, and I hadn't quite found my writer group yet. And I hadn't mm. found my like creative community yet. Um, and part of it is because I'm an introvert, you know, so <laughs> making friends as an adult is not always easy. And also because Columbus is largely a poet town. 
Like they're oh wow yeah they're I'm very like I'm like proud of my like city now that I know like just how many writers there are here um and there are a lot of like super talented and wonderful writers at all levels but at the time it was like I would see literary calendars and everything was poet this poet that Mm. and not and even though I do write poetry it's not my bread and butter so I kind of felt out of sorts so it was kind of like well I don't have my community here yet and yeah, so I was kind of in a weird place where I felt like very siloed. Like I was still writing mm-hmm. a lot. I just didn't have anyone to like give me feedback or commiserate with, you know. Right. But also I feel like, um, and I don't want to speak out of turn about you, um, but I feel like you were sort of torn about where you wanted your future to go because you had you had thought you wanted to live in New York for a little while and then you and you were you weren't married yet, but you were committed to John, who was a writer, and he's writing for a local paper in Columbus. And so there was this crossroads of like, am I, am I going to have to come to terms with the fact that I'm not going to move where I want to move and live where I want to live and have that experience? Or am I going to embrace this, the experience that, that has been given to me and find my own path in that? Would that be accurate to say, too? Yeah, I... I would say that's very accurate um, because, you know, like New York City has a reputation for being like the place where you go to write. And Mm -hmm. I mean, ever since I was like a little kid and I knew I wanted to be a writer, I always thought, oh, I'll just end up there, you know, like Mm -hmm. it'll happen eventually. And then, you know, I was like looking at colleges in New York City for a while and then realized like, wow, it's really expensive to live there. And uh, I'm not... (laughs) I'm not I don't want to say I'm not academically smart enough to get a full ride I don't test I don't take tests well enough to get Mm -hmm. a full ride I have very bad test anxiety uh anxiety in general that's why I'm happily medicated (laughs) Uh, insert sponsor piece for Celexa (laughs) keeping me sane uh anyway so you know that I was like, okay, I cannot afford to go to college in New York City. So then it became, mm-hmm. oh, well, when I graduate college, I'll move to New York City. And then I was like, oh, shit, I don't have any money. Like, okay, so I'm going to work in Birmingham for a while and then get some money to move to New York City. Mm-hmm. And then also saw, like, how y'all were struggling. And I was oh, like, yeah. oh, I don't know if I have the fortitude for that you know like am I gonna would I be able to write if I was like struggling just to survive you know and then I met John and he's like I ain't going to New York City (laughs) and I was like and you and John have always been pretty level-headed y'all weren't y'all are never uh and I think and I don't say this disparagingly I say this with great admiration you were never under any kind of false pretense that you and John were each other's end all and be all you were level-headed adults who chose to be with one other, one another because you're inspired by each other and you love each other, but you never went through this whole romantic BS of like, he's the other half of me. You two are very strong-willed people and you stand on your own and that's an inspiration for anyone. And so it was able, it was a possibility for y'all to be like, I want to move to New York. And he's like, no, thanks. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, I, so I'm really glad that other people pick up on that um, mm-hmm. because I have some unconventional ideas about love and relationships. And one is that I actually don't believe in soulmates. I think that one mm. person can be compatible with 
you know, multiple people, you know, several mm-hmm. could be dozens, you know, you just don't know. Uh, so it's a matter of like not only finding someone that you're compatible with, but that you really love and care deeply about. And then you can choose to make a commitment to that mm-hmm. person. Like it's a choice, not a necessity because like, yeah. think about it. Like if you, if you feel like you need someone, then you'll put up with all manner of bullshit to stay with them, <laughs> yeah. you know, and well, like and at that... the expense of your own happiness. I don't want oh, to yeah. need anybody. You know, I, I love being able to say that like, you know, with, absolute certainty and confidence like I choose this life Mm -hmm. I choose like to be in Ohio I choose to be with John you know and I actually really glad the way things worked out because like Columbus is not a small city you know and when you consider like the number of indie bookstores and the number of writers per capita like I don't know like it's it's like a huge it's like the literary world's best kept secret honestly Mm -hmm. you know well and and I can and, afford to write here. I can afford to live here and write right. here and I don't have to struggle and it's nice. And that's why Ethan and I decided to leave New York because we probably wouldn't be in one of the coastal cities if it weren't for me really at this point, because I'm an actor and performer and, you know, there is Chicago, but which is kind of, you know, I hate use I hate when people use the word Mecca because that is an actual religious term for a religion you don't right. subscribe to but it is the it is the epicenter of improv is in chicago for america but i i love los angeles it's beautiful and it's more attainable but and that's why we decided to live here because you you create the life you choose and you realize that the older you get but in that moment when we were moving to los angeles packing up you were in the depths of your own I won't even say despair, but it was, it was a crossroads for you and you navigated your way through it. But in doing that, you wrote one of the most profound pieces that I think you've ever written. And I got to witness you watch it. You did it at my kitchen table. Oh my and gosh, thank you. it's now been published in, where was it published? Yeah. So uh, the essay that I was working on in New York, so I hadn't been in Columbus that long, but I saw that uh, Belt Publishing, which is a regional Midwestern publisher, which is like all everything they publish is just gold so when i heard Mm -hmm. that they were doing they have a city anthology series so like detroit has a city anthology you know and chicago has a city anthology lots of cool midwestern cities have these anthologies and then they announced that they were doing one for columbus and at Mm. first i was like well i just recently moved here like i don't know that i have the right quote unquote to contribute to this and mm-hmm. so I puzzled over it for weeks and the deadline was coming up while I was visiting y'all. And I thought to myself, well, I don't want to like do work on vacation. So I'm just going to let this one go. But then something hit me. And mm-hmm. while I was on the Staten Island Ferry, uh, I just I had a notebook in my purse that I'd actually bought on that trip. Yeah. I was like, I, something just told me like, you're running around here with this little tiny purse you know, cause you're walking a lot and you don't mm-hmm. have a notebook and you're going to get hit with something and you're going to be mad. So mm-hmm. I remember like going into like that moleskin kiosk at like Columbus circle. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was sitting on the ferry and it just hit me like exactly what I wanted to say. And I don't really handwrite a lot of my stuff because you know, it's so much easier just to type it. Mm-hmm. But like, 
I remember I just started riding and then, you know, I'd get to the end of the ferry line and they make everybody get off. And I was like, well, I'm not done yet. So I'd got back on. I probably did that five or six times. Really? Just like, yeah. Just handwriting out this essay. There's, it and always then, works out when you come visit that there's a day or so at least that you just kind of bump around the city by yourself. Yeah. Cause we even like to spend as much time with you as possible, but there's always that moment where you're in the city by yourself. And I think you love that. And I see why now, because you get to just absorb and be alone with your thoughts. And I, I think water does that to me for sure mm-hmm. that you just, you really start to get really introspective. And when you're on the Staten Island ferry, you, you see the statue of Liberty, you see Ellis Island, you see all these things that are representative of hopes and dreams. And yeah. so it is kind of ironic that it, worked out so perfectly like that and like the inherent symbolism of the location (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know and whatnot um I I do remember when I got back to y'all's apartment I didn't even have my laptop with me because I decided I wasn't gonna work while on vacation (laughs) and I was like Ethan give me your laptop I need it and so I typed out the (laughs) essay and I think I turned it in with like 12 hours before the deadline and it was like I, you know, I had to like write it, edit it. I remember enlisting y'all to read it. I was like, does this sound good? I'm not like on a deadline. How? I remember I got really moved. I remember it was, it was really powerful and it's called Buckeye and Goodbye to All That. Buckeye that right? to All That based on. Oh, Buckeye, Buckeye well, to All That. Taking inspiration from Goodbye to All That by John Didion. Mm-hmm. That's so But fantastic. yeah, it just came out. The anthology was finally published, you know, because like the book process is just so long. And this was actually two different publishers collaborating. Mm-hmm. And so I will not comment on the delays around that <laughs> bullshit show. But ultimately, it did come out. It was just came out. Oh, that's, well, congratulations. That's, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, you like I said, the stick-to-itiveness that you put in your own art is just and I think I am finding it um in myself now but I always get inspired by you for that and I just I can't I can't thank you enough for just being an inspiration because you just never know who's watching and who's doing you know and you don't know who's watching and who's being inspired by you and you don't know what that inspiration could lead to hopefully I I will always credit you for the inspiration that kept me you know, firing, just keep going, just keep doing it because I've had a lot of struggles, but like, and when you were there in New York, I had a lot of struggles with anxiety and depression and it was a big, big strain on mine and Ethan's relationship to the point where we didn't know if we were going to make it at times. But, but now looking back, I've done all the hard work for myself. Well, not all of it, but you know, I've done hard work for myself to know my triggers and to know my limits and to know what I need to keep me going. And it's like, and I'm in such a great place with Ethan and I'm in such a great place with myself. And I look back at that time in New York and I'm like, Oh my God. Like, how did I stand? Like I was just like in the, (laughs) it's so dramatic, but I was like on the brink every day for a while. And I'm just like, poor Ethan. You do seem (laughs) so much happier and calmer and just like more Mm -hmm. like content with your inner self than I've ever seen you. Well, and you, well, thank you, by the way. I appreciate that because, um, yeah, it, it, that means a lot because, yeah, you've seen, you've seen me at my worst too because you get a bird's eye view of everything <laughs> that goes on in my relationship. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, but 
every time, well, we came to see you once and I can't wait to do it again in Columbus for your wedding. And Ethan looked around at yours and John's house and you have a garden in the back. And he was like, we're going to move here. And I'm like, Mm-mm, no, we're just, we just made it to LA. I'm done moving for a while. So you have I mean, a, a centeredness. Like the city's going to go away. So, I mean, if right. you change your mind. <laughs> Not that I yeah. have any personal gain in this whatsoever. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, you know, and I, I'm, I'm looking forward to you and John, because you always come see us, just like my mother comes to see us. You're actually going to bring your husband this time, if yeah. you can. Hopefully. Yeah, I get way more vacation time than he does. And I'm like, well, just because he can't go, like, that doesn't mean I should sit my ass at home. But uh, <laughs> this time, it just so happens to work out that we'll get to be on vacation at the same time. Before we move on, or before we end the episode, I would, it would be a big miss if I did not bring up your other sort of, I guess, I've, I've been doing a lot of thinking about secondary projects and secondary careers and primary careers, because I've always said that this podcast is my secondary like side hustle, but it's something that I control 100%. So I can always just lean into it. So sometimes it is my main hustle (laughs) because, you know, just like a writer, the acting world, things come, things come when they come and, you know, you have to just keep throwing the the line out there and hopefully you'll catch a fish. Um, And the more fish you get, the better you get at reading the waters and, you know, the other fish know, jump on that line, you know, I'm beating this analogy to death, but your, <laughs> um, your exciting other project is you have a book blog. I do called off the beaten shelf, off the beaten shelf. So it, it, it is off the beaten shelf.com, but you also have a Facebook group that is equally exciting. So tell me a little bit about your, blo- your book blog. Yeah. So I started it in July of 2014. Um, and it was basically just an outlet for me to talk about books. So many people ask me for book recommendations because I read anywhere. So it's kind of funny, like when I first started it, I was reading like 38 books a year and then it got up to like 50 and 75. I'm currently on track to read 200 books a year. You know how like Goodreads has like that goal? Mm-hmm. thing that you can put in and so you can like tell it how many books you want to read and it'll tell you like you're right on target or x number behind mm-hmm. or x number ahead um and yeah i i was gonna shoot for 150 this year which would be like the most i've ever done yeah uh, but it kept saying like you're 13 books ahead so i was like okay well let's you know i, I was curious to know what my target would be and yeah it, so i put it in 200 and it was like okay you're you know like four books ahead and i was like oh okay so you're cool. still ahead of schedule to finish 200 books this year yeah so it was yeah so it just started is like my way of keeping track of my own reading life and also sharing the books that I love with other people Mm -hmm. and also, you know, like dedicating myself to saying, okay, I'm going to commit to writing a blog post once a week Mm -hmm. that forces me to be accountable to my readers and uh, helps me build up my like regular writing practice, you know, so, Mm -hmm. cause it's like, if you think you might let somebody down you're more likely to do the thing right Right. so it's an accountability thing for me as well so it it started with a lot of functions 
an exercise for yourself to just sort of put it out there, not really worry about the metrics and will not worry right. about that, but just know that there are people reading this and it keeps you accountable. Well, now if my research serves me correctly, you have a couple of thousand readers a month. I and do. So, again, the inspiration because you did this for you. You did yeah. it. You, you write about what you like to write about. You, 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 it forces you only to put inspiration to paper. That's the only requirement that it started with. And because you're so, because you were remaining true to yourself, your authentic self shone through and it, and it touched an audience and you have an audience for that. And you took that. Yeah. You, you, re I really love that you don't get too bogged down with the, with the metrics and don't get too involved with it, but you know that you, for lack of a better term, you have a captive audience. And so let's get a little more organized. Let's start some reading lists. Let's start some, you know, writing about here's how you can have success in your own reading. Yeah. So a lot of people would ask me, like, how do you read so many books a year? Like I have all the shit going on. And so I started talking a lot about the habits that I cultivated over the years. Like I'm always reading multiple books at the same time. Um, I mix it up with genre, so there's no chance of me getting the multiple books mixed up, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and just, like, the pockets of time I find to squeeze in books between all the other stuff I do. Because it's not like I'm not busy, you know? It's not, you know, people have asked me before, they're like, do you have a job or do you just, like, get paid to read? And I'm like, uh, well, first of all, I would love to get paid to read. If you know anybody who is hiring Hello. for that, please <laughs> send them my resume. Um, but no, like, I have a pretty normal day-to-day -day life. I mean, caveat, I have cats, not kids. So obviously, mm -hmm. like, if I had kids, I'd have less time, you know? Um, but at the same time, I think if you did have a child, which I think we can all say you're not gonna, right? Oh, no, God. <laughs> but if you, did have, a, a child, <laughs> if you did have a child, you'd make it work. You'd find the way because yeah, that's just who you are. It's a matter of like, yeah, just mm -hmm. cultivating habits, you know, and like when you mm -hmm. get into a habit of like reading every night before bed or like getting up 20 minutes early in the morning to read, you know, first thing in the morning instead of, you know, looking at your phone or, I mean, you know, not that there's anything wrong with looking at your phone, but, you know, oftentimes if given the choice between looking at my phone or reading, mm -hmm. read on my phone, <laughs> you <Well>. know. <clears throat> I am going to attempt to use my influence as your friend and the fact that you're here on this podcast today to sort of solicit some free advice. So okay, I'm can ready. I, can, I, can I attempt? So yes. I have a problem and I think anybody who knows me for real knows I have a problem. We are actually looking at each other on a screen and you're staring my problem right in the face. Behind me is a bookshelf. <laughs> full of, I think it's about 500 books. And that is a I great problem to have. Well, and so the first question I want to know is I, I do need to pare down. There are books that I will pick up now and I'm like, why do I have this? It was so important for me to move it from New Alabama to New York and New York to LA. And now I'm just like, why do I have this? This is ridiculous. I need to get rid of this. But some of them, it is a little bit more of a gray area for me. So my question is, 
do you have a philosophy? And if so, what is your philosophy on which books to buy for yourself, borrow from the library, keep for yourself forevermore after you've read them or give them away? Do you have a philosophy for that? I do, kind of. It's very situational, I guess. Um, So the books that I end up buying are ones that are a combination of it would take me forever to get them from the library because they're new Mm -hmm. even though like the columbus metropolitan library is one of the i think it is the best funded library system in the country Um, so it's really good you know and i don't often have to wait super long but still uh it's also i decide to buy books when there's a particular author or press that i want to support that i don't feel like is getting the support it deserves Um, So, for example, I'm a big proponent of, like, reading diversely, and studies have shown that, like, the publishing industry is, like, in, like, the editorial department, for example, is, like, 89 to 91% white in, you know, in, like, the big five publishers, Um, Mm. you know, which, you know, and and if your editorial is mostly white, that's most of what they're going to want to publish, you know, Mm -hmm. so when they do publish someone who's a person of color or is LGBTQ or, Mm. you know, or is not Christian, you know, maybe they're Muslim or something, you know, I want to support that person and that author. And it also lets the publisher know like, Hey, people are buying this kind of book. Maybe we should let more voices in, you know? So it's like, obviously the book has to appeal to me. You know, like, mm-hmm. I don't just go buying every single book by every marginalized person out there. You know, like, the book has to be something I want to read. But if given the choice between, like, buying that book or borrowing that book, knowing I'm going to read it anyway, then I'll lean toward buying it. It's kind of like, mm-hmm. I think of it as voting with my dollars. That's you know? a really good point. That is that is something I've never really given a lot of thought to. But, I mean, that is a problem that any industry has. Oh, so yeah. it's it's a wonderful way to really decide how to how to spend best spend your money because you know I mean that I mean that's just fantastic I love that um, money talks in terms and you were of, talking about was that go ahead oh sorry I was gonna say uh, in terms of what to keep um, because I I read so much uh, the house would quickly overflow if I didn't get rid of some books so. Usually if I finish something and I know I'm not going to read it again, if I can think of someone who would really like it, then I'll just mm-hmm. send it to them or give it to them. Um, I'm also real acquainted with half-price books, which I don't know if you'll have those in LA, but they're basically like used bookstores where you can like drop off books that you no longer want and they'll give you like pennies for them <laughs> or like store credit, you know, and then yeah. you can turn around and buy more books. Uh, yeah, it's definitely lucrative for them. <laughs> but, you know, it's like if I drop off a massive box of books and they're like, here's five bucks. Well, I can go get one book, you know, that I really mm-hmm. want and get five bucks off. And, you know, makes me feel a little better about my habit. Um, in terms of what to borrow, um, audiobooks are expensive. So most of what I borrow from the library is audiobooks. Really? And that was, that's interesting. Um, that's another question of mine. What is your relationship to ebooks and to audiobooks? How do you feel about that? 
So I don't have any like moral opposition to ebooks or e-readers. I think they're wonderful for democratizing reading and also for certain genres they're particularly good like uh romance and erotica have like sales have spiked because now you can read your book anywhere and nobody nobody knows they don't have Mm -hmm. to see the half-naked couple on the cover you know (laughs) um but like for my day job and for my writing for my blogging for my vintage shop all of that requires me to be on the computer and now with the Mm -hmm. quarantine I'm constantly on the computer to maintain a social life so I just, if I can avoid looking at a screen at some point without having to sacrifice something I really care about, then mm-hmm. I want to take that opportunity. So I don't personally read ebooks for that reason, but digital audiobooks, love them. Mm-hmm. I constantly walk around with head, my headphones on, listening right. to something. Like, I never liked doing the laundry or washing dishes or like scooping cat shit, you know, until <laughs> I started listening to audiobooks. And it's like, okay, I'm doing these activities that I would normally be super mm-hmm. grumpy about, but now I can like basically have this narrator read to me and I'm engrossed in the story. And all of a sudden, cleaning the house ain't so bad. <laughs> I love that. I, I am someone who over romanticizes pretty much everything in life. Um, like just recently I found these envelopes that my mother um, sent to me in New York that were addressed for family members with a stamp on it. And I'm like, I cannot waste this stamp. So even though the return address was New York city, I wrote all the people that I had envelopes for a letter here in Los Angeles, except for my one grandmother who had passed away. Um, and so, and so the romanticization of it all, was when I was like, I've got to use the stamp. I can't not use the stamp, but who can I send it to? It's got to be somebody special because it was my grandmother's envelope and I cannot, you know. So I wound up sending it to my aunt, but that really does translate to everything in my life. So I have this deep romanticization of reading a hard copy book with it in my hand in the exact space that I like to read it in. Like there's books that I have on my shelf that I have not read and because I don't, it just didn't feel right. And then we moved to this new apartment just recently from a different apartment in LA. And I looked at all my books now and I was overcome with the emotion because I was like, it's time. I can see it. I feel it. It's time to read that book. And I'm like, oh my God, you need to really calm down. But no, it's funny how that happens. Well, I'm, and that being said, I, I romanticize everything about that. So I'm trying to find a way to really start to slowly, at least slowly implement audiobooks and maybe some e-readers into my life. I've decided that some of the classics that I that I have have gone without reading. I'm in the middle right now of reading Little Women, but then I have like Pride and Prejudice and other things on my shelf and I'm like maybe I could just read those on the e-reader because I don't need to buy these books and I don't need to have them on my shelf. They're just something that as sort of a pop culture anthropologist that I am with a podcast and with doing improv it might be good to have read them just because why not e-readers are particularly good for classics because if something is out of print or or i mean if the copyright has expired you know Mm -hmm. so it's public domain then it's free so you can just get a free yeah yeah so if you go out and buy a physical copy of little women you're paying money you know (laughs) and the only one who's profiting is the publisher and the printer well, Not the copy that Lisa I have, Alcott, of, you know, <laughs> the copy of uh, 
Little Women that I have was free to me, but that, as you know, is a story for a different time, maybe decades right. later, because I've never fully divulged that story on this podcast, and I don't oh. think I will. Um, oh, oh, I, okay. For a so second, I'm I was sorry. like, wait a I'm minute. I'm sorry to the listeners. I remember now. There is a handful <laughs> of human beings on this planet who is listening right now, who are listening right now, and they know the story, and they're just chuckling to themselves. Um, so, so say someone wants to start reading, you know, I mean, we're in a space now where we're inundated with, with stimuli, with Instagram and Facebook. And, um, and now there's all these streaming services. We have any show, anything we want. We have Spotify, any music is at our disposal. So there, we've never been a more distracted, um, society as we have now is my theory. And even, I don't even know if people know about this, but there's this thing called Quibi, um, which it takes like your favorite show and breaks it down your hour, your favorite hour episode and takes it down to a 10 minute chunk so that you get all the important information and you don't have to waste time watching the entire episode. And I'm like, that is ridiculous to me because we are that busy with distractions that we can't um, watch a whole episode. That makes me but sad. That, like it does Spark make me note. sad. It's like reading Spark Notes. It really about, is. Uh, and so, I, but I do sense that there are people out there, and especially with this quarantine of COVID-19 situation, that people are starting to see the benefits of slowing down and going back to what we used to know as a society generations past. And I think that is reading. We all, reading used to be our television show. I, I get this sense that people want to start reading again um, more so because just because of conversations I've had. So for someone who is not a reader, would love to be a reader, but probably is our age, late twenties, early thirties and have not probably picked up a book since high school or college, but they're ready to start. What would, what would be some advice that you would give to somebody who's ready to start that journey? Well, before I say that, I want to say like, no judgment, no shame. Mm -hmm. Like I almost, you know, I hesitate to share how many books I read a year, you know, and like, just because whenever I end up telling somebody, they're like, oh my God, you know, or like they automatically Mm -hmm. like assume things about me. They like assume that I'm like some kind of snob or like I'm do they read it as sort of like a literary pissing contest yeah and it's like it shouldn't be like that Mm -hmm. but you know for various reasons some you know i've some reasons better than others i guess uh reading has like this connotation to intelligence that like other forms of art don't Mm -hmm. and i personally don't think that like books are inherently more valuable vessels of art than say tv shows or like Mm -hmm. film in general you know like there are some people who are as passionate about film as i am about books like i don't think i'm better than them you know um books just so happen to be the thing that i'm personally passionate about so all that to say no shame uh now onto your actual question uh for people who want (laughs) to like build up a reading practice and they kind of don't know where to start i would say be kind to yourself, you know, and like, don't feel bad if it takes you like a month to read a 200 page book. Hey, guess what? Like, that's fine. (laughs) There's no competition here. Like, it's cool. 
no judgment no nobody's like right. looking over your shoulder like wow it's taking you forever hurry the fuck up no reading is supposed to be enjoyable mm-hmm. uh, i would also say think about what you're fascinated by like i don't know do you really like do you really like murder mysteries well they got books for that do you really like mm-hmm working on cars they got books for that you know like whatever it is that you're interested in i guarantee you there's a whole genre of books out there about whatever that thing is so it's just a matter of finding the books that are in your little wheelhouse of fun you know so like Mm -hmm. think about the things that you're constantly looking up on wikipedia or like i love to get down in google rabbit holes and like look at pictures of shit you know and like it, it can be like the weirdest thing like i don't know i got on a terror looking up people with webbed toes the other day i don't know why just medical shit's weird to me so okay if you're like me and are into weird medical shit maybe you like books by lindsay fitzharris who is like she studies medical history and writes really weird and fascinating books about victorian surgery and like operating theaters (laughs) cool you know um yeah i mean literally whatever weird thing you're into there's books out there for it so just like gravitate toward don't think about what you know your high school english teacher told you you should be reading quote i'm using should and air quotes you know think about what you like what you Mm -hmm. want and I guarantee you, if you seek out topics that you're naturally fascinated by, you're going to want to read those books. That's that's fantastic to think about because, you know, I do I do put pressure on myself even because, like, I didn't read To Kill a Mockingbird until I was in my late 20s. And I still, to this day, have not read Catcher in the Rye. And I, I used to put a lot Catcher of pressure on myself. Catcher in the overrated. <laughs> Caulfield pisses me off. <laughs> We'll put that in the basket for next episode that you come on, Um, which I hope will be sooner than three years later, because you are an endlessly fascinating human being. And I could just talk to you all day about anything because you really you're you're like me. You have opinions on all things. So let's and and you don't judge anyone. (laughs) And that's fantastic. (laughs) Oh, thanks. Well, you, as we said in this episode, have a book blog. Where can people find that book blog? At offthebeatenshelf.com. So that is where my book blog is. If you want to see all the weird shit I do, there's mandyshanara.com, which has, ah, God, like a little bit of my writing. There's a section for roller skating, section about the vintage shop, like... I'm also like a registered wedding officiant, officiant, so I've like a little bit on there. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I was saying about how if you want to cultivate a reading practice, just follow what fascinates you. That's just kind of how I mm-hmm. live my life in general. That is so fantastic. So we got offthebeatenshelf.com and mandyshanara.com. Yes. And if people want to follow you on social medias, where would they do that? Uh, on Twitter, I am at Fixed Baroque. That's F-I-X-E-D-B-A-R-O-Q-U-E. If you're wondering about the story behind it, it's, you know, like in uh, Beauty and the Beast, where they say, if it's not Baroque, don't fix it. You know, I think it was <laughs> Mrs. Potts who said that. Anyway, that's not important. 
<laughs> on Instagram, I'm at Off the Beaten Shelf. Oh, on Facebook, there's a Facebook page and a Facebook group, Off the Beaten Shelf Book Blog and Off the Beaten Shelf Book Nerds. Perfect. So, yeah, find me, we're fun. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you'll follow me at Kyle L. Henderson. Same on Instagram at Kyle L. Henderson. Go to the Facebook group, Not For Nothing, to join the conversation and be a part of what we talk about here on the show. And any comments that are left there on things that we're talking about this week, I try to mention them on the show, give you a little shout out. And if you would, go to your favorite podcasting app and rate and subscribe to this show and leave a review and I'll read it on the show. And Mandy, thank you for coming today. Thank you for sitting down with me. This was so much fun. Uh, it feels like me. Absolutely. I you have a home here at this show anytime you want. Anytime you have something you've written that you want to pedal, come to my show and we will sling it to people because I love your work. I love you and I cannot wait to go and devour another book. Well, keep me well, posted. Yeah. If your listeners like go, you know, read some stuff that they're excited about and they want to tell me about it, I want to hear about it. So please let me know. I love that. You could go post that on off the beaten shelf Facebook group. So until next time, guys, hang tight in your bunker and maintain some social distance and grab a good book and read it. do that <laughs> I was like, that was such a dramatic flourish because <laughs> it's so loud and, and every time i rattle the paper i can hear everything and i'm like oh my god <laughs>